pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this time that we've had to worship you. And now as we turn to your word, Father, I pray that we'll come before you into the presence of your word with yes in our hearts. Pray that you'll show us more how you would have us to live, how you would have us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I am not your regularly scheduled speaker, of course. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Randy Jackson. I'm associate pastor here. Uh, Dr. Russell, our senior pastor, is uh, having some uh, much-deserved time with family today in Mississippi, and uh, just pray for them as they'll be traveling back and uh, that uh, God will watch over them. Also, uh, just uh, I forgot to mention earlier, if you are our guest, we do invite you to uh, share with us uh, about yourself. We, there's a gray card in front of you that you can fill out and that you can leave in the offering boxes as you leave or bring to me after the service at the Next Steps station. Um, usually, at this point in a message, a preacher will say, open your Bible too. And I do want you to open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 7. But more than that, I want to ask you, are you open to God's Word? Are you yourself open to what God wants to say to you? When you approach God in the mornings, in your quiet times, or you open, whenever you open His, his Word during your, during your week, um, are you open to Him? Or is it just something that you do that you check off the list? Uh, when I was first introduced to spiritual disciplines, um, I didn't grow up in church. And in fact, seminary in many ways, uh, had a few years in church, went to seminary. And seminary in many ways was the first time I really had discipleship in my life, which is a very bad time to have discipleship. Um, really should get that out of the way before you go to seminary, but, uh, or at least get a start on it, because it is a lifelong process. But, you know, I, I read the book on, a book on spiritual disciplines, and I listed them all out on a sheet of paper, in a chart, with dates, and I would do check marks for every day I did them. I don't recommend that. <laughs> uh, not now, anyhow. Because it's sort of the wrong, it is the wrong way to approach it. It's sort of, okay, here's my, here's my legalistic list, and God, I, I did enough check marks today, I've given you my time for today, and I'm going to move on to something else. But God, when we approach His Word, He wants us to be open to it. He wants us to bring our hearts, our minds, our lives to His Word, and just let Him speak, and hear what He has to say. Now, the text I'm about to read is towards the end of Jeremiah, and, and we're more familiar with what takes place before this point, uh, because we see it in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. We see it some in Isaiah. We see it in the book of Jeremiah, but often we're unfamiliar with this part that I'm going to be reading today. Now, here's what's happened up to this point. God called Israel to be his people. They have had kings starting with Saul, then David, then Solomon, then all of David's line. Uh, the, king, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. Northern kingdom eventually goes astray from God. It is taken into exile by the Assyrians. It is no more. The southern kingdom, Judah, hangs around a little bit longer, but they're going down the same path the northern kingdom did. 
And eventually God says, okay, it's time for you to go into exile as well. He, he sends the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar takes, uh, takes King Jehoiakim into exile and several with him. About three and a half, well, the people after Jehoiakim's t- taken into exile, uh, they make his son, Jehoiakim, king in his place. There's too many Jehoiakim, kin, kin here. It gets all confusing. I, I'm not even sure I got that order right, but you can check me later. But um, he takes him into exile, and then Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, I, this people's a bit unruly. I know what I'll do. I'll name the king I want to rule. So he picks someone in the royal family he thinks he can control, and that's Zedekiah, and he makes him king. Now, the whole time this is taking place, there is this prophet by the name of Jeremiah who is in Jerusalem preaching to the people. And he's saying, God is, all this is from God's hands. Before the exile, he's saying, if you do not repent, you will be taken into exile. They didn't listen to him. King's overthrown, some are taken into exile. Then another king is overthrown, he's taken into exile. Now, at this time, he's saying to the people, okay, this is all from God's hands. This is his judgment upon you. Submit to him. Submit to the Babylonians. This is all God's plan. And Zedekiah says, every now and then he calls Jeremiah in and says, do you have a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah shares it. And Zedekiah's like, I'm not going to do that. And eventually Zedekiah is taken into exile. Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, the walls are torn down. And at that point, they take a whole, whole lot of people into exile, and they leave just, you know, the ones that the, when, they, when the Babylonian general said, should I take these into exile, the king was like, oh, no, leave them. So all that's left at this point is the very, very poorest and least of the people of Judah. There are, however, a handful of soldiers that sort of escaped the Babylonians by fighting guerrilla warfare up in the hills, whatever. The Babylonians didn't find them. The, the Babylonians appoint a governor to watch over to the, the Judah at this time. Uh, all these soldiers start to come out of the hills, and one of them is a descendant of the royal family. And he sees this as an opportunity to take the throne. So he's buddying up to the governor, being all friendly-like. And these other soldiers are coming to the governor saying, you know, this guy's going to kill you and try to take over. Now, I don't know, but if I were you, I would let me kill him. (laughs) And the governor's like, no, 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 you're... You're just making that up. Well, one day, the other guy kills the governor. And he takes the people, and he's trying to escape with them. These other soldiers come along. They kill that guy. They free the people from him. Everybody's happy. But then they're like, okay, the Babylonians appointed a governor. He's dead. I don't think they're happy. And they say, Jeremiah, what should we do? And that brings us to our text. Jeremiah 42, starting at verse 1. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan, the son of Kareah, 
and Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing we, that we should do. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word which the Lord your God sends sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom you are, we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Insert narrator voice, they lied. Verse 7, at the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah comes back, and here's basically what he says to them. Now, remember, Jeremiah has been saying this all along. Everything he has said has proven to be true. Obviously, God has been speaking through him this whole time. Jeremiah says to them, listen to me. Don't go to Egypt where where you think you want to go. Don't flee. Stay here. Live under the Babylonians. It'll go well with you if you do that. But if you go to Egypt, everything you think you're afraid of, everything you think you're escaping will find you there. And Jeremiah says this, and here's how they respond. Um, verse, chapter 43, verse 1. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to, he sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan the son of Kariah, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, insolent men, there's probably a good hint of what's coming. You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hands of the Chaldeans that they may kill us and take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Kariah, And all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan the son of Kariah and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Alhakim, the son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch the son of Neriah, And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they arrived at Tapanes. Now, what was their motive for not obeying God? I mean, Jeremiah had been a true prophet. His message was not popular. They never liked it. But everything he said had come out just the way he said it. Yet here they are, over and over again, rejecting him, over and over. Why did they do that? 
First of all, they were afraid. They were filled with fear. If there's one thing I think characterizes our world today and our culture today, it is fear. Media, politicians, everything tries to motivate us with fear. Don't trust them, trust me, because you should be afraid of them. Buy this, not that, because we can protect you better from what you fear. Everything is driven by fear. Also, what came along with their fear was this, also this idea they would believe any conspiracy that came along. You know, Baruch, Baruch, he's the one making you do this. You two are in our cahoots. You two are trying to make this happen this way. You two are trying to hand us over to the Babylonians. You've always been a Babylonian agent. We knew it. So they put this conspiracy out there. Along with that, there was just a lack of faith. God has been saying to them for decades now, just submit to me, just submit to my plan, just do what I say, and I'll take, make sure it goes well with you. It's not going to be pleasant. You're under judgment, but I will bring you through it. And they fight him every bit of the way. They don't trust God. Instead, they're, they're looking for an earthly savior. They're looking for someone who can bring order to the chaos that's around them. They will follow anyone that they can watch, that they can see, that they can touch, that can speak to them directly, but they won't trust God. And also, let's face it, they just had a preconceived idea of what God's plan was. Surely God doesn't want us to live under the Babylonians. It's better for us to go to Egypt. Now that is odd. Because their ancestors had been slaves in Egypt. But they always, always looked to Egypt as a better option than whatever God wanted. So instead of bringing all that to God's word, when we face it, when we encounter it, how should we prepare to, prepare to encounter God's word? First thing, approach God's word with yes at the ready. Dr. Russell often, when he preaches, talks about us having our yes on the table. See, we often obey conditionally. You know, we, we want the plan to be absolutely 100% clear. You know, we, we want to know step A, step B, step C. We, when God speaks, we don't just want him to say, go do this. We want him to say, and here's step one, step two, step three, step four. Now, and I've been there. When, when God was moving us from one part of the world as missionaries to a, to a more difficult part of the world as missionaries and things looked complicated and like they couldn't be done, uh, you know, I, I was like, okay, 
okay, you know, that's, that's fine, but God, you got to work this out, this out, this out, and you got to explain to me this, 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 and this, and I'm willing, but after you get it all settled, I'll go. Yeah, and I remember vaguely, um, there was a sermon at the church we were attending that morning. We were back in the States on stateside assignment at that time. It talked about just taking that first step before it's all clear. And then my wife, who's much, in many ways, more perceptive to the Lord's leading than I am at certain occasions, she said, maybe we should just say yes and see what happens. And after about two or three days of me wrestling with that, it's like, okay, I sent, I sent a letter to whoever, email, it was an email, it wasn't that long ago, <laughs> but, but I sent an email to the person who needed to say yes to about changing. I said, no, we don't know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but Lord, yes, we've said yes to the Lord about doing this and we're willing to go, we're willing to start the process. And at that moment, every obstacle I saw within a week fell down. It doesn't always work out that clearly. But so often when God says something, we're like, well, we've got to do research. I've got to do a study. I've got a hundred internet searches I've got to do before I figure this out, Lord. But he's already said go. He's already said do. We just need to make the step. We may want complete clarity. We may want direct personal instructions. But we should always begin with yes, not conditions. Just a simple yes. Second thing, accept when you approach God's word, accept that you're not the main character in God's word. Now, someone comes up to me and they say, you know what that verse means to me? Now, I don't say this, but here's what I want to say. No, and I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Because what it means to you, it's just what it means. When I first started taking an interest in God's Word, I, I, you know, this was even before, well, this was well before I got into church or anything. When I first started taking interest in God's Word, you know what it was about? I wanted to figure out where the United States of America figured in the end times. Yeah. Because that's the center of the world. You know, I wanted to figure out what, what God wanted to do with me because I was the center of it. You know, we live in a world that is God's concern, every bit of it, every part of it. In the past week, 120,000 people have been driven from their homes in a country on the other side of the world. By the time it's all over, we expect 4 million to be driven from their home. I'm not sure my little problems are the biggest concern. 
right now. See, the problem in making ourselves the center of God's Word is that we miss what God may be actually saying and actually doing. We miss the meaning that God originally intended for the original hearers of His Word. The Bible is much richer when we take the time to study it deeply and keep God at the center understand the people and the culture to which it was written, and then apply that to our day. And that takes time. That takes more than licking the finger and picking up to see where the wind's blowing. That takes more than doing an Search on YouTube for something. Please don't do that. Yeah, I have things pop up on YouTube whenever I'm there, and it's like such and such person speaking on this, and I turn it on, and I'm like, oh, wow. There are people that dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, I listen to the radio and I hear people talk about what God's, what that verse means to them. And I'm like, someone, please help. We need to know what God's word is really about. God's word is redemptive history. It's the history of God's dealing with humanity. It's not just history, it's also what's to come. It's a story of creation, that God created everything. That everything has its being because of God and God alone. And it's a story in which he created humanity in his image for fellowship with him, to be with him, to be this close to him. And humanity chose sin, and humanity fell. And from there, it's a story of redemption about how God has done everything necessary to bring us back to here with Him. And it's a story of restoration that someday there'll be a new heaven, and there'll be a new earth, and He will dwell with us, and He will be our God, and we will be His people. That's what Scripture's about. The point of Scripture is to tell us we are crea- we're created for a purpose, that purpose of being with Him. It's to tell us that sin keeps us from fill- fulfilling His purpose and that our lives are broken because of sin. It's a story to tell us that Jesus redeems us and frees us to pursue God's purpose for our lives. God's words teaches us what we are to obey and what it means to rely on the Spirit so that we can. And if that's true, that means when we approach God's Word, we have to accept that God's Word, through the power of the Spirit, will change us and transform us. Putting yes on the table means everything goes on the table. Our pride, our personality, our prejudices, our politics, our personal plans, they all go on the table. When we say yes to God, 
We have to be willing to say no to a lot of stuff that we've been dragging along with us. God's desire is to transform us into the likeness of Christ. It is to be a radical transformation that requires complete surrender on our parts. The video we saw before the service of the young lady who, who talked about a point in her life where she was just a college student and she said she gave God a blank check and she just surrendered completely to him. That's the point we all have to reach. That's the point we all have to come to every day of our lives. And when we approach God's Word, we also need to expect that God's Word will expand our world. See, when we understand we're not the center of God's world, we're able to see how far His plan for redemption reaches. When it's all about us, you know, it... it that's a, sad, that's a sad place to be. When it's all about God blessing me and God taking care of me and God taking care of ours and us and it's just here, we miss so much of what God wants to do in the world. We miss so many blessings that he could pour out on us. Because if Scripture is about God and Jesus Christ, obedience will require more than us taking care of ourselves. See, we become responsible for those who haven't heard his word. We become stewards of creation instead of consumers of it. We, we become responsible to obey him and demonstrate his love to a world that, as we have seen this week, is in so, such desperate need to know his love. And that requires us to simply approach his word with the word yes. Um, the first Sunday in January uh, 2017 was the first Sunday that I was on the ministerial staff at this church. The second Sunday, I think, was uh, Jonathan's first Sunday. And he was, we used to sit on the platform. <laughs> he, he was sitting over here. I was doing the announcements, and I shared this story uh, that I heard from a speaker that I heard in seminary, who had gone and he had preached at an African-American church, and they had done the music, and he was getting up to preach, and as he was getting up to preach, the pastor grabbed him by the shoulder, set him back down, jumped up, ran to the pulpit, and said the word, yes, and the, you know, that call and response Yes, and they said yes back, and it went back and forth for a while. Then the pastor prayed, Lord, you've heard our answer. Now tell us what to do. So what's your answer this morning? Some of you may need to say yes to redemption. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've played at church, but you've never said yes to him. This morning's the morning to realize that he loves you, Christ died for you, he died for your sins, repent of your sins, turn to him and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Perhaps the yes you need to say is yes to service. 
Maybe that's as simple as you've been delaying going out there and signing up for something on, on for Mission Milton. Perhaps God has been calling you to something different and something elsewhere. And I'm well acquainted with elsewhere. It can be scary, but it's a great blessing as well. Perhaps God is say, calling you to say yes to this church. To come and be a part of this church. To be a member of it. To be a part of this family serving God. And perhaps it's just simple as saying yes to growing in Christ. You've been, you've been kind of at a plateau for a long time. And you haven't done the things you need to do to be growing. Say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time we've had to be in your word. Let us not be like people who, with lip service, sound all spiritual, sound all religious. But we aren't in our hearts saying yes to you. Father, work in our hearts now. May your spirit touch us, lead us, guide us. What is that thing you need us to say yes to you? What is that thing in your word that you've been saying to us so long and we have stubbornly not heard what you had to say? Father, I pray that you would free that from us today and that you would empower us to walk in obedience. Father, lead us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for a time.